Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we will pick up. It's been a few weeks since we've been in Exodus chapter 3, but that's where we are. So we will pick up there after we pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you this evening for your grace. We thank you that you loved us in spite of who we are. We thank you, Father, that in your love toward us and the love that is showered between you and your Son that uh, emanates from the Spirit of God that you have brought to us uh, the opportunity that we may, in the person of Jesus Christ, be born again. Thank you for the opportunity we've had this day in our Sunday school and in worship to break the bread of life, to feed on it, to intake the unadulterated milk of the Word. We do pray that you would abide and be with our children and our uh, youth as they are uh, studying this evening, guide them into all truth. We pray. We do lift these up to you tonight, not only the ones that have been mentioned, but others, Father, that no doubt are uh, in our hearts and on our minds. We ask that you would abide and be with them and restore them according to your will. Guide us this evening as we continue to look at this tremendous passage of Scripture in Exodus chapter 3. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so the last time we met, um, just give you a review here this evening. <clears throat> we Moses has, uh, was on the backside of the desert, chapter 3. Uh, he witnesses a bush that is burning that is not consumed. He turns to take a look at it, and then uh, Yahweh speaks to him. And in his speaking, he is, Moses does not know it yet, but in his speaking, in God's speaking, he's preparing Moses for a tremendous task. In fact, when you look at the Old Testament, it's perhaps the greatest single task by an individual contained in the Old Testament, the leading of the Hebrew children from Egypt to <clears throat> the promised land. Moses is one of the three great men mentioned in the Old Testament, uh, and we we continue to look at him, Abraham, Moses, and David. So we find Moses' name mentioned quite often in the New Testament. And so there's this conversation that takes place <clears throat> uh, between uh, Moses and the Lord, Uh, If you would, look at verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And so he said, or Yahweh said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you, that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Now, one of the things I want you to take away from this is that uh, God is not leaving any wiggle room for Moses. Now, Moses tries a lot uh, of ways to wiggle out of what God's called him to do. Um, But finally, as we get to the end of chapter 4, we'll find that uh, the Lord says, listen, you're either going to do this or I'm going to take your life and somebody else is going to do it. So that sort of changes his mind. Um, But this conversation ensues. He tells Moses that you've brought the, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, So these things are going to take place. Then Moses, verse 13, said to God, Indeed, 
When I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And so we've been focused on these verses 14 and 15. And uh, as I said, these are some of, uh, because all the Bible is inspired and given to us, but these are certainly some of the more important verses in the entire Old Testament. In fact, when God replies, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And moreover, God said to Moses, then you shall say to the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So he reconfirms the covenant that he made with three of the patriarchs. He has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. So this is the, the highest expression of Old Testament deity. I've mentioned that a number of times in the teaching here. So there are three things that take place, and this is just for review as we go forward here. But the first thing that uh, God tells Moses is uh, basically uh, a description of his character. This is not his name. He says, I am who I am. It's a description of his character. Um, he doesn't mention his name. And so, in effect, he says, before you worry about my name, uh, who I am among the many gods of Egypt or Canaan, and before you attempt to conjure me with my name, and we went to 1 Kings 18 and we saw that, Elijah and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, before you attempt to do that, understand if you are wondering if I am the God of Abraham. Be astounded by this. More important than being the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the fact that I am who I am. Before you learn my name, learn my being. So the name, in fact, he says that's my name forever. He says, I, essentially, I absolutely am. And with that, we begin to and we'll see in some subsequent slides here, the Lord begins to unfold some of his attributes, some of his character, some of what makes God, God. So that's the first thing he says. Secondly, he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. He doesn't say God is sending me to you. He said, you just tell them that I am has sent me to you. He's still not given Moses his name. He's teaching Moses that his being is. See, the great thing about God is there's no past. There's no future. There's the eternal present. He is. God does not dwell in the past. He knows the past. God does not dwell in the future. He knows the future. He dwells in the eternal present. The future is not future to him. And the past is not past to him. Now, we struggle with that. Because everything with us outside of this real-time event that's taking place tonight is either past or future. Not so with God. And so he mentions to Moses, he said, you just tell them I am the is 
has sent you. Again, not a name. And he simply states his uh, being determines his name. He says, the one who absolutely is has sent me to you. So before Moses takes off, go to the next slide if you would, uh, Tim. Before Moses takes off with this commission from Yahweh, Yahweh is teaching Moses who he is. Sometimes in our life, we, we survey our life, we survey the lives of other people, and we said, you know, if we could just tell those people who I am. Well, the issue is that we need to learn who God is ourselves. Because all of us, myself included, have uh, a fallacious understanding sometimes of who God is. So that's basically what God is teaching Moses during this time. Third thing he says, so say this to the people of Israel, <clears throat> the Lord, and that uh, if you look, uh, we talked about this before, the Lord is cap capitalized, found over 4,000 times in the Old Testament, is the Hebrew word Yahweh. Now we add the vowels, the vowels are not there in the Hebrew and he said, the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, he sent me to you, and this is my name forever. No one's going to take the name away from me. You're not going to change the name, and those that worship me are going to worship this covenant God. I am the covenant God with you. So when we look at it, and this is just to, to help you understand where we are in the revelation of God. Remember, I reminded you that Genesis 3, two great books, two great chapters, very early in the Pentateuch that Moses wrote. Genesis 3 and Exodus 3. So we have the fall in Genesis 3. And that's a vitally important chapter. You and I have been impacted and are impacted by the fall every single day. And when we come to Exodus 3, Moses is impacted, and you and I are impacted by God's revelation to Moses. So <clears throat> I told you that um, theologians like to make up names and so forth for these types of events. So the, and this particular structure, the YHWH is referred to as the tetragram, uh, and the verb portion is the tetragrammaton. And this is just the, the understanding of the nature of God. So you take all of that, I am that I am, and in English we say it's the tetragram or the tetragrammaton. That's not going to change your life one way or the other. I'm just giving you that so that if you ever hear it, you say, oh, he's talking about Exodus 3. That person's talking about Exodus 3. <clears throat> Reminded you that when you hear the word Yahweh, that Y-A-H is the... Uh, is part and parcel of the word hallelujah. And it never changes. So every time we see the word Lord in the English Bible, we should thank that. Uh, it's a proper name. And so God has revealed at this point the understanding of how he wants to be called. And so from this, we glean that God absolutely is. Not past, not, not future. He's present. When we get to heaven, no past. We get to heaven, no future. 
the eternal presence of God with us continually. That's all we need to know. I don't know how God's going to do that. It's not important for me to know how God's going to do that. But he will. Next slide. <clears throat> so God names himself. If you remember back in Genesis, he named Adam. Adam named Eve. And then you have their sons and their progeny and everything that uh, proceeds from them. So each one of those are named. But God names himself. We don't have the luxury of naming God. And we call him God because that's the English reference. But in reality, what we see here, Exodus chapter 3, is that God chooses and anoints this name to Moses. Um, So I ask the question, are we awed by the sheer fact that God simply is? Um, And we can rely on him. He is who he is. And that's a fact that is unchanging. God's character doesn't get greater, and God's character never wanes. It never gets less. It's consistent. So people who are awed by God, and we're going to see this as the book of Exodus plays out. Many of the people of Israel that are leaving Egypt are awed by God, and God's going to do a number of things to to cause them to uh, to be at all, to experience all. But there are quite a few that leave Israel, uh, that leave Egypt that are not awed by God. Oh, we're out here in the desert and it's dry, and we don't have anything to eat, and this is, and there they go on and on and on. So when we are in awe of God, it makes us an irrepressible people. And our triune God loves us, loves to show us gracious power where people are overwhelmed by his amness. I made this word up. I didn't find it anywhere. By his amness. I am that I am. So we probably won't finish all, the, all 10 of these tonight because they're, they're, they're fairly in-depth. But in, on Desiring God, John Piper listed from this particular chapter, he said there are 10 declarations that we can draw from what God is telling Moses about what it means for God to be I am. <clears throat> and so you can... If you wanted to go to, to his site, Desiring God, and, and to Google it or to search it, uh, this will pretty much come, uh, come to the fore. So the first thing is that God's absolute being means he never had a beginning. Remember, no past. Every child will ask you, and if they haven't, they will. Who made God? Well, who made God? I remember Stephanie asking that many, many, many years ago. Well, Dad, who made God? And there are even some people that will say, well, man made him up. And all you have to do is spend some time on social media, on Twitter or whatever, and you'll see people say, well, God is made in man's image. And a lot of people think that. But if we're wise, whether parents or grandparents, we'll just reply, nobody made God. God simply is and always was. There's no beginning to God. Now, for a child, and even for us, 
we can't fathom that. Everything has a beginning. We came home from our trip on, on Wednesday, late Wednesday, and one of the first things we did on Thursday is uh, uh, the flowers that we had in pots around the yard, everything had <clears throat> pretty much dried up. So we just pulled them out and threw them away. They had their beginning, they had their end. They're goners. Not so with God. So, because he is absolute, God never ends either. There's no beginning and there's no end. If he did not come into being, he can't go out of being. Now, we have a beginning, but from what we understand about the Bible, we won't have an end either. Whether it's spent in the glories of heaven with our blessed Savior, or whether it's spent in the torments of hell, separated from God, we will continue forever. But God is the only one that has no beginning and that has no end. Because we're children of Him, of His, those of us that are born again, we know that we will endure with Him forever. So God is <coughs> what is all that exists. Now we have to be careful here because the Eastern faiths, the Eastern religions, Hinduism, Buddhism, Confucianism, and some of these others are pantheistic, which basically uh, is uh, uh, a faith, a f type of faith that says that God is in everything. No, he's not. God is everywhere. That does not mean that God is in everything. He's not in this. He's not in this. Okay? He's not in this. So we must be careful that we, we're able to distinguish between how God inter, uh, interjects into his creation and how he, he is uh, both transcendent, he moves in and out of his creation, and that he is imminent, he is within us, okay? There's no place we could go, the psalmist himself says, it's, if I make my bed in hell, you are there, and that's true. Um, there's no place to go that is outside of his being or his reach. Therefore, he, uh, he is only who he is. And before he creates, God is all that is. Now, at some point in time, and time did not exist, a creation occurred. And it still doesn't exist with God. God is not limited by time. Or we get frustrated. We pray... Oh, Lord, these things are happening. Please remove this. And, and we're thinking that the same constraints of time that are placed on us are placed on God. They are not. I've read countless stories where individuals have prayed for others to be born again for years. One of the ones that comes to mind, Mark Deborah was ex explaining about uh, a man that lived 100 or so years ago where his mom had prayed for him for, she lived almost to be 100. She prayed for him for many, many years. Then she passed, and his sister prayed for this man. He lived into his 90s. And two days before he passed away, he was listening to a message on the radio by Mordecai Ham, and that name may not mean anything to you, but Billy Graham was saved under Mordecai Ham's ministry. 
He was listening to a message on the radio by Mordecai Ham, and he remembered something his mother had told him, something he learned in Sunday school 80 years before, and he repented and became born again two days before he passed away. Now, that's a long period of time for you and I, but God doesn't deal in that time. So we struggle with that. I struggle with that. All of us struggle with that. Next slide, if you would. No beginning, no end. I think we know that. Okay? The third thing. God's absolute being means God is absolute reality. Anything that is real in the world is real because God is real. The expression of life. I heard something or read something over the past week talking about uh, birds in North America. I don't know whether you realize this or not, but they are literally tens of billions of birds on the earth. Now again, we never think of that. And they are remarkable creatures. They really are. And so in this particular article that uh, I was reading, it said that 50 years ago, there were as many as 10 billion birds. Now I don't know how they did this. Certainly they didn't count them, but I'm sure there was some extrapolation or something. They had an algorithm even back then. So approximately 10 billion birds. And in the, in the past 50 years that now they estimate, and it's an estimation, okay, that there are 7 billion birds in North America. So something has happened to 3 billion birds. Um, and I kind of, uh, not to be um, flippant, but I kind of thought about it, well, probably 3 billion were chickens and we ate most of them. So, um, but in any event, when you look at the world, and we don't think about this, but there is life everywhere. Everywhere. Insects, spiders, snakes. I don't like spiders and snakes. Life, fish, mammals, dogs, God bless them, cats, not so much. There is life everywhere we turn. And there's life because God is life. God is real. And he's appearing here to Moses to, um, surely Moses knew this, but to convince him of that. There's no reality before him. Since there's no beginning, nothing existed, okay, until creation. There's really, there's no reality outside of him unless he wills it and makes it. He is not one of many realities before he creates. And again, this Eastern thought, very similar to that, spiritualism. Oh, there, there are scores of deities. In the pagan world, we'll close with this this evening, but in the pagan world, uh, the pagan nations were fearful of offending Uh, their pantheon of gods. (coughs) So, in most pagan faiths, there were male deities 
and a corresponding female deity. And these existed because they were fearful of having a male and not having a mate. And so because of this, the female and the male deities would come together and there would be little demigods. And so this is one of the ways that in Hinduism there are actually hundreds of millions of gods. Let's just make sure that every male deity is not offended and the female deities are not offended and the little kitties are not offended. But God is not like that. God cannot be divided in this ways. Not one of the many realities before he creates. He is simply there as absolute reality. He is all that was eternally past. There's no space. There's no universe, no emptiness, only God. Absolutely there. Absolutely all. God doesn't need the universe. We do. God does not. It is an expression of his love toward us that he created in that form. So I'm going to stop here this evening. We'll pick up uh, next Sunday evening with, uh, and we'll try to bring this to conclusion. So what Piper is basically gleaning from this, I am that I am, is the, uh, the fact that uh, God has stated, this is my name forever. So, if you look at this passage, you think about it in time, this was probably given 3,500 to 4,000 years ago to Moses. Nothing has changed in that time. This is my name forever. So, any comments or questions on what we've covered this evening? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you this evening for your word. We thank you that you chose to reveal yourself to Moses. And Moses, under the inspiration of the Spirit, so eloquently and so willingly, Father, wrote this years after the incident took place. And so he's recalling this to his mind, and then he's writing so that the Hebrew children would hear and understand, and that those of us that are here tonight would read and understand. I pray, Father, your blessings to be upon everyone that is here gathered this evening. Keep us safe as we depart this place and bring us back when we can worship you again in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name we pray.